0: should be an exciting time for the church if we pray about that our hearts are going to lead us god's going to lead us into what he has for us and that's exciting because he's in charge amen and that's what we want to talk about today, and if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 26, we're going to jump off there in just a moment, but before we do, I want to go back, actually, to last week and wrap up something that I realized as I left church like, mm, I forgot to do something that I wanted to do, and so we're going to sort of take a little step back first before we jump into today. If you're visiting with us or if you weren't here, haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we're doing a prayer series a sermon series, excuse me, called Pray Like Jesus, and the first Sunday we talked about childlike praying, and all of this is we're jumping off from the Lord's Prayer recorded for us in Matthew 6. Last week we talked about offensive praying, and the choices that we can consider that help us actually be on offense. In our prayer life with Jesus, and of course, then that helps us live an offensive life for Him. And I want to remind you of what those choices were from last week. If you look on the screen, you'll see these love over fear, grace over hurt, peace over unforgiveness, rest over selfishness, hope over vengeance, and eternity. Looking at eternity versus looking back. At the past. I'm going to guess, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands uh, at this point, but I'm going to guess that some of you have been praying for some of those choices this week. Nod your head if that's true. Yeah, some of you have been praying for those things. And I want to take a moment right now to give the entire church the opportunity to pray for you. If you're dealing with one of those six things on the right that are keeping you from experiencing all that God would have for you in your life, that's something that we all should want to pray for you about. Amen? All right. So we're going to do that right now before we go any further and look at our subject for today. So I want to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment. And if some of you who just said yes, uh, that you are praying about those choices, if you would now, if you would just raise your hand so we can see, uh, I can see how many we're, we're talking about praying over. I see at least a couple of dozen hands up in the congregation. So, congregation, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I want you to pray for these people that just raised their hand. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, and these are some things you're praying for for yourself. So I pray that you take a a moment and lift each other up, be in unity over these things, and then I'll close us in prayer, and we'll move into today's subject. Lord, you've told us to pray to not lead us into temptation, to deliver us from the evil one. The evil one wants us to stay in fear. The evil one wants us to live in hurt, live in the past, create vengeance, be self centered. I pray for these people who raised their hand this morning, your children. I pray for them that they lean in to the choice that you would have them make. Lean in to the choice of love or grace. Have a vision of eternity over the past. But some of these things, that they don't go away in just a day or one prayer. They, they take time. And I pray that as a body today, that we will encourage one another. When we hear someone is dealing with unforgiveness or uh, hurt, whatever it is, God, I pray that we will embrace them because that's what you do as our Father. You embrace us. So I pray that you just help them to be on offense, continue to choose the the better thing over the evil thing. I pray all this in your name. Amen. So you're in Matthew 26. I think I said that, did I say Matthew 26? If I didn't, that's where you should be, Matthew 26. And let's all stand together, and we're going to read a couple of verses from here, and then we'll look at one verse back from Matthew 6, the passage we've been looking at each week, so if you'll stand. And Matthew 26, before I, read, I start reading in verse 36, let me just set this up for you. This is uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as where we're going to zero in on where Jesus is praying. And he's going to give us an example of what we're going to talk about today, and that is submissive praying. Submissive praying, you might say a definition of that, is being honest in our human wants, but humble in kingdom needs. So he's going to give us an illustration of that. He's in the garden. He's just had the Last Supper With the uh, disciples, and he's taken them to this spot. Pick up reading with me in verse 36. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed. Read this with me, please. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That, felt, that sounds pretty similar to the second verse in the Lord's Prayer back in Matthew 6. Here it is. Read this with me from Matthew six ten. If You can go to that on the screen, please. Read this with me. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." Thank you, you may be seated. Both of those prayers, one of those, Jesus is, it's like a teaching moment, what we just read, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, was a teaching moment. But in Matthew 26, it's a live, real prayer between He and His Father that we actually get to hear. We don't get to hear a lot of those in the Scriptures, where he is talking to his father. This is one of those times where he's illustrating humanly as a man, what I want is this, but I'm willing to let you do what you need to have done. So I'll come back to that definition of submission and submissive praying, being honest in human wants, but humble in kingdom needs. Here's a definition of humility that I think is helpful to us. Humility is willing to see where you are wrong in order to experience God's power. Willing to see where you are wrong in order to experience God's power. Now, let me clarify something. Jesus wasn't wrong in in his praying, right? He's just being honest. He wasn't wrong, and a lot of times, I think if we can grab a hold of the truth, as human beings, we, don't, we can't see everything. We can't understand everything, why? Because our, our minds are limited. We can only see what we see right here, we can only stand, understand what we, what we can observe. And when we're praying to God, we're praying to someone who sees all of it, yes? So, and of course, Jesus is the illustration because He was God and man, that's a whole different animal over there, but for us, we are limited into what we can understand, and so sometimes, ignorantly, we're praying wrongly. We just don't know it. Amen. Yeah? Right. But that doesn't mean we, couldn't, we shouldn't keep praying and be honest in our human wants, but willing to say, I, this is what I want, but if you want something better, if you have something that will show your power more strongly to me and everyone around me, that's what I'm after. That is submissive praying. Look at this definition and, and statement about prayer, again from the book Papa Prayer by Larry Crabb that I've been referencing. He says this, prayer has more to do with God speaking to me and my learning to be the listener. It's a dance where He leads. That's interesting. Often in our prayer life, I, I, everyone in the room has, if we're honest, will if we were to like do the ratio, how much in my praying am I talking and how much am I listening? mostly it's going to weigh over here, right? Yes. Looking at that definition, prayer has more to do with God speaking to me and my learning to be the listener. It's a dance where He's in charge. So in the conversation, the illustration of Jesus being in the garden, He's fully, fully allowing His Father to be in charge, to be in the lead. And this is what we want to talk about today. How do we do that How can we pursue praying like Jesus as submissively as He did? How can we do that? So three thoughts here. Here's the first one. Seek His glory. As we go through each one of these, going to lead us to look at a particular character in Scripture and how either they did that pretty well or maybe they, they struggled with that. So first thought, how do we pray submissively? We seek His glory, not our glory, not what we would want. I'm going to go back to one of these guys that was in Matthew 26 with Jesus, and this guy's Peter. I don't know what you thought about Peter, what you've thought about Peter over the years. He's one of those characters in the Bible that we get a lot of information about him and his personality, by how he interacts with people and uh, with Jesus. One of those spaces is in Matthew 16. I want you to see this, these couple of verses. In Matthew 16, it's the passage where Jesus uh, around verse 10 or so, he, he asked them, who, do, if, who does everyone around me say that I am? Remember that dialogue that he has with the disciples? Who who do people say I am? And Peter's the one who speaks up and says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus goes on to tell him how, you know, he's blessing him because of that statement. Then you follow along with me in verse 21, and let's see what else follows that conversation. Verse 21 Of Matthew 16, from then on Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. He's just, for one of the first times, told them what's going to happen. Verse 22 says this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him Excuse me? Peter took the Messiah aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And here's Jesus' response. See it, verse 23? Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. And he's serious. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Was Peter wrong? In his limited knowledge, I don't know that we can really say Peter was wrong. What he didn't understand was what he wanted was not necessarily what he needed. Look at this statement on your sheet. Peter wanted Jesus to be safe, but he needed him to be sacrificed. He wanted him to be safe. Why? He, he, understood, he thought he understood who Jesus was. He, he said it, you're the Messiah. He thought he understood what that meant, but what he did not know in his limited understanding was he actually needed Jesus to follow through with what he said was gonna happen in verse 21. He needed him to be sacrificed. Do you see how limited our understanding can be just because we're human, right? I need what God is after more than what I can understand. That's submissive praying, when I can pray with that in mind. Look at this quote here from a Uversion app reading that I read this week. It says this, many of our assumptions about God have more to do with who we want Him to be than who He actually is. Sometimes we get so caught up in, but God, I I need you to be my healer right now. And he can be, but that may not be his actual plan for you right now. Yeah? It's getting really quiet in here. (laughs) Are you willing to seek what his glory is and receive it and live in that? Beyond what you understand. That's submissive praying, and that's, that's a struggle. I'm, I, I see the Bennetts back here. Good to see y'all, by the way. Uh, the Bennetts, I, I, I almost wish I could just say, why don't y'all just come up here and let's just hear y'all's story. Maybe we'll do that another Sunday, okay? But they've, li- they've had to live this the last couple of weeks. Would you agree? Where you're, what you think may be right, you have, to, you have to give that up and seek what God's glory is over yours. Sometimes it may be the same, sometimes it may not be. So how do you do that? How do you pray for that? You need to, we have to acknowledge that our nature, we are naturally, we want, we want to go after our glory first. So we have to pray to give God's glory priority over ours. So how do we do that? I'm going to suggest this. You take yourself out of the picture. What does that mean, John? Well, that can mean a whole bunch of things. Here's a suggestion. Listen to, you, listen to yourself pray. If, uh, that might sound a little odd, but just listen to your prayers and note how often you use personal pronouns referring to yourself. Just think about, you know, don't dwell too long on that right now. I got more stuff to talk about. But <laughs> In the, in the next couple of days, how often does the words, do the words me and I come up in my prayer life? What if I were to take myself out of the, the, my statements? Here's a, a thought. Instead of praying with the idea of, like Peter, you know, here's what I want. Here's what I'm after. Can you do this for me? Sort of what's in it for me kind of mentality, even though that's not what we mean. What if we switch that and say, what's in it for you? God, if it's your will to heal me, if it's your will for my child to go to this particular college, if it's your will for me to get this job, not I want this job tomorrow. See? Seek His glory over ours. We're going to come back to Peter at the end of the message. just Uh, because he's an interesting dude. We're going to cut back to him and see another conversation he had with Jesus after this one. So first, in order to pray like Jesus, I need to seek the Father's glory over mine. Here's the second one. Seek his outcome. Seek his glory, then seek his outcome. I want to take you back to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Samuel, and look at a lady in the first chapter of 1 Samuel. This lady was married, and in a very common situation that many married women found themselves in back in those days where she had a husband who had another wife. Her name was Hannah. Hannah did not have children. The other wife had a lot of children and didn't mind telling Hannah how wonderful it was and sort of rubbing it in her face. And in the customs of that day, that was, that was very looked down upon, that a woman didn't, was not able to have children. So Hannah goes to the temple and pours her heart out and is, has an excellent illustration of a submissive prayer. It's recorded in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 1. I'll read this for you. Here's what she, how she prays. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forgive me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. She's making a very specific vow to God. She's seeking his outcome. Why do I say that? Because think back, those of you who are younger on this side of the room, it's a mix over here, but those of you who are younger on this side, who have not even close to being married and you have no kids, all right? You have a vision in your mind as a young person of what your family life is going to be like in the future. You're going to get married. You're going to have kids. Don't you think Hannah probably had that vision? Yeah. In order to be whole, in order to be seen as a full woman who's blessed by God. So she wanted, here's your statement on your sheet, she wanted, Hannah wanted to be whole but needed actually to be empty. And she offered that I'm asking you for a son so I can give him back to you. Let me experience the wholeness, but I actually want to be empty and give him back to you so he can serve you all of his days. Wow. If we could pray like that about this church, about our family, about our money, about all of our life, imagine the power that God could display to us. Yes? It's like... I, I, I want to be whole, and I know that you actually desire that for me as well, but in reality, I want to be empty so you are seen, not me, not my child, so that you are seen. Seek his outcome more than yours, and that's what Hannah was after when she prayed this. So she wanted to be whole, but she needed to be empty. How many of you, you don't know, have to raise your hand, but how many of you today feel like, I'm in a Hannah situation? in in some area of your life, that I'm coming and I'm just pleading, and you had the opportunity in in your hardship to let him show himself of how powerful he can be. Listen to this quote by another pastor that I read this week, Paul David Tripp. He said this, God is not shocked, surprised, or dismayed by your hardships. Nothing catches him by surprise. But... He constantly uses what you will find very hard to produce, what is very, very good. So in the middle, Hannah, in the middle of being ridiculed, being, feeling like she's rejected, feeling like she doesn't belong, feeling like God may have made a mistake, she's pursuing what is very, very good by offering back to him what she's asking. That is, it's submissive praying. That's the kind of praying that Jesus illustrated in Matthew twenty-six to us. Seek God's outcome over mine. There's a blank on your sheet that you need to fill in. I'm not going to give you the answer for it. The statement says this your vision for fill in the blank may not be God's vision. How will you pray to seek his vision over yours? That could be the blank could be your career, it could be your family, it could be this church. Your vision for fill-in-the-blank may not be exactly what God's vision is. How will you pray so his gets priority over yours? That is submissive praying. Like, John, this is some challenging stuff. Don't you think when Jesus was in the garden that that was challenging? Yeah? He was really having to decide, you know, I've got the power here. I have access to the power to not have to follow through with this if I don't want to. If I don't want to, I don't really have to do this. But he made a choice that I'm going to seek the father's outcome. It's going to have priority over mine. So in your family, who gets the priority? In the outcome that you're looking for, Is it God's vision or is it yours? Church members of First Baptist Church, your vision, and we all need to hear this and and sit in it, our vision of First Baptist Church may be different from God's. It may be. Are we okay with that? Should we be okay with that? Yes, because we want Him to be the the leader of this church, not us. Yes? Yes? So, to pray in submission for all areas of our life, every area requires that I seek His glory, I seek His outcome. So, take yourself out of the picture. Instead of sort of this, what would you have me do, even though that's a good prayer, what would bring you honor? You know, Hannah totally, totally could, be, could have been cool to say, give me a son, and I will raise him, and I will, uh, I will do everything to make sure he's a man of God. Now, she went further. Oh, I'm going to give him back. What would give you honor? And you study the life of Samuel in the Old Testament. He's one of the strongest leaders that the children of Israel had. Why? Because it started with his mother being willing to give up and be empty, not worrying about her wholeness, worrying about what the her God, the leader of her nation, would have. That's strong. And if I can live in that, whoo, God has freedom to do stuff that I cannot explain. Amen? Do stuff that I cannot explain. And then I get to tell everybody else, I had nothing to do with this. I had nothing. My hands are off, which is a good thought maybe. Maybe. Your family doesn't belong to you. Your money doesn't belong to you. This church does not belong to us. Take your hands off in your praying. Take your hands off and allow God to be God. Allow His outcome to be pursued. Allow His glory to be seen. Submissive praying. Seek His glory. Seek His outcome. And number three, seek His rest. So I'm going to make another little, it's really quiet, so let me get a drink before I go on. Uh, I've been a Baptist all my life, and what I'm about to say is an opinion, but eh, you can debate it later with me if you want. Uh, We Baptists are not good at resting. We're not. We do, 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 go, go, go. And the opposite of that is... Resting and being, listening. So you want to come back to that dance thought that God, prayer is like a dance and, and God's in the lead. We're, we're over here like, excuse me, I'm trying to do a three-step, and I don't know what you're trying to do, but this, this ain't working. You know, sort of that thought. And we're, we're so busy doing that we forget to, often, we forget to sit back and just enjoy God. Be in awe of him and rest in who he is. If I want to be in submission, I'm going to have to think about how to rest. And the example that I want to give to you, again from the Old Testament, is Daniel. One of the craziest chapters to me in the Bible is Daniel 6. It's just nuts. Go read it and think about all the things that are going on in that chapter because that's the one where he ends up in the lion's den. What in the world? Seriously, what in the world? So here's Daniel. He's part of this uh, group of captives who've been placed in this other country. You know, put yourself in in his shoes, in his sandals. He's in another country. It's foreign to him. He has a choice to make. Back to those choices we were looking at earlier. He could be vengeful. He could feel like he's hurt. He could feel all those negative things. He could be in fear, but he doesn't do that. What does he do? He stands up, and he's a leader. He's he's more concerned about illustrating to his people and the people around him who his God really is. So why in the world does God allow him to end up in a lion's den? You know, that's, that's where my brain goes. What in the world? What's up with that? He ends up there because his enemies around him don't like him. Huh, you got any of those? But he still pursues God, and here's what happens. If you look at that chapter, and really the whole book of Daniel, you don't see Daniel being recorded as overreacting to anything. Like, God, excuse me, I've been faithful in my prayer life, and now you're throwing me in here? What's up? We got to break down the communication? You know, what, what's, what's the story here? No. He walks in to that den, and it's not like he's pushing the, the guards aside. He's not panicking. All we know is that that night, he remains safe. Why? Because he's resting. Here's the thought about Daniel. Daniel wanted to be trustworthy, but he kept pursuing needing to be trusting. He was after doing the right thing, and he kept, he gives illustration after illustration of that he wants more to trust God than to be concerned about how trustworthy he is. As he's interpreting dreams earlier in the book. Everything he's doing, he's going after, can I trust God, to the point that when God takes him into a lion's den, he's not freaking out about it. He's totally at rest, because he knows he needs to just trust more, trust more, trust more. And I I don't know, maybe when I get to heaven, I can ask him what he did that night, but I envision that either he's just over there so, Lion, what's up? You know, he's just talking to him, petting him, maybe just using him as a pillow and just slept the whole night and, like, no big deal. Maybe it's the best sleep he ever had. How trusting are we to the point that we can rest even in turmoil, even in hardship, even in confusion, even when it feels like I've done everything right? You know, Peter had to feel that, you know, I'm doing, no, you're not going to die. No, I'm going to protect you. How can I just totally rest, take my hands off and totally rest? So the idea is that your idea of rest and your idea of trust may not be exactly God's, it might actually go deeper. How can you pursue embracing his idea of rest for you? And here's the thought, instead of, praying prayers that are more concerned about what more could I do? You know, as Baptists, you know, I gotta gotta get that pen for attendance and and, bring my Bible. We don't do those anymore, but you remember that back in the day. It was all about performance. God's not here about your performance. It's not what more could you do? It's what more will I allow you to do? You want me to go in this line, Stan? Show me what you can do. I'm just going to sit back and watch. Seek his rest. Don't be a worrywart. (laughs) Seek trusting him more and more and more. Because rest is found in being and not in doing. I want to end by going back to the book of John. John chapter 21 This is one of the final conversations we see between Jesus and Peter. We started looking at the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus' prayer there, and Peter was there, and Peter didn't pay attention and fell asleep, and then Peter denies Jesus, and, you know, all, all these constant illustrations that Peter, although he verbally said, you are the Messiah, he didn't quite understand all of it yet. How could he? Let's be fair. How could he? Right. Well, after the resurrection, okay, story, story just changed. I thought I needed to keep you safe, and I, I realized I needed you to be sacrificed. He's still a little challenged with that. So at the beginning of the chapter, he goes off. with like, hey, guys, let's go fishing. They go fishing. They, can't, they don't catch anything. Jesus shows up. Voila, 153 fish. It literally says that. 153 fish. Uh, Jesus helped them catch, and they come to shore, and Jesus is making a breakfast. And they had that conversation where Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Peter's like, "Uh, yeah. Feed my sheep. He says they do that three times. And then in verse 18, here's what Jesus says to him. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. Like Peter, when you were younger, you lived as, as everybody does, you live for, for your glory, your outcome, and, and that's, that's who you were when you were younger. Here's what he says, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would, gl- would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Peter's death is not recorded for us in Scripture. Tradition says that the description that Jesus just gave for him was followed out by him actually being crucified upside down. After Jesus left him, it's as if this statement to him became a switch in his head. I'm going to be more about the Messiah's glory than mine. I'm going to be more about the outcome he's after than mine, to the point that I'm willing to go to prison. We see that recorded in Acts. I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to do anything for him, to the point that I'm going to die for him. What is God calling First Baptist Church to be willing to do, to be submitted to? What is He calling you as a church member, as a father, as a business leader? As a college student, what is God calling you to do? Maybe I should reword that. How is He calling you to rest? To where you can say, here's my human need, but I want your kingdom's will. And His response is, follow me, just follow me. That's the opportunity we all have on a daily basis as we engage with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members? How are we illustrating to them, I live submissively to my Father? How can you pray this week that takes you deeper into a submissive relationship with your Heavenly Father?